So this time of Easter is a time of, um, yeah, really dwelling with and uh, reckoning with what has happened in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. But then the church gives us this time to also realize that that, that has deep implications for your life and my life. Right? We have Easter Sunday, we have the octave of Easter, you have those eight days. But there's a way in which I need, I need some time to, yeah, to soak in this truth of, of what has happened and how that, that changes things for me. And there is a way in which some of the readings that we read throughout the year, they're kind of nice, but it's almost like they take on a new light uh, just in the light of Easter and what's gone on. So remember, what's the good news? What's the gospel? And it's very simplest form. The gospel is that, that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He was dead, and now he's not dead anymore. It's a good reminder, because sometimes we forget, and we kind of act like Jesus is dead. Yeah? It's like, that was a long time ago. He's gone. No, no, he's not gone. He's alive. He's doing really well. Yeah? Uh, and the gospel is not just that Jesus is alive and he's okay. It's that now he has been established as Lord. So Jesus is alive, but now he is Lord and God. This is the great, the great proclamation of, of Peter in um, the first reading. This is at Pentecost. So Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he and the other apostles are driven out by the Holy Spirit with great zeal, and they're telling everybody, and you hear just kind of the end of his speech here. He says, let the whole house of Israel know for certain, for certain, that God has made both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. So he is both Lord and Christ, means he's the Messiah, the one that they expected, but also he is God. So, now Jesus is alive, he's victorious, and now he's king. He's king of all creation, he's king of the universe, he's Lord. And so now that demands a response from us. That's just not like, oh, good for Jesus, you know? Like, wow, I knew he'd make something of himself one day, right? No, it's like, oh, now that means there's a decision. And you hear that here in this this account of Pentecost. So everybody just finds out like, yeah, this guy that we kind of helped crucify, he's actually God. And it says they are cut to the heart. And they ask Peter and the other apostles, what are we to do, my brothers? Now there's something interesting in that they called them brothers. So even hearing the, this news that like they, they put this Jesus to death and now he is Lord and God, he's victorious, he's raised from the dead, there's something stirring in their hearts because they don't feel like ashamed and accused and like they have to run away. They say, hey, hey, what, what are we to do, my, my brothers? Like there's a feeling of connection. And then the response of Peter is just the best news in the world. And it's good news for you and me both too because who is, who is as the catechism puts it, who is the author of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? Who caused it? I did. And you did, right? Because we've sinned. So we weren't there on that day in that way, but there's a real way in which each of us is in some ways guilty of the death of the Son of God because he came to die for us to pay the price for our sins. So, so I am guilty of his death, and, and so are you. So hearing this, like, oh gosh, because of what I've done, Jesus has been put to death, but also he is raised, he's victorious. Our hearts almost ask that same question. Well, then now, now what? Like, what does that mean for me? And Peter responds by saying, here's what you should do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's great news. He doesn't say go away. He doesn't say you should be ashamed of yourself. If anything, he's saying you can come in. Like you can come be a part of this. You can come be a part of the family of God. What does it mean to be baptized? You know this. It means all your sins are washed away and you get adopted. And who becomes your dad? God the Father does. 
What is the Holy Spirit? It says you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the bond of love, the infinite love between God the Father and God the Son. To receive the Holy Spirit means to receive the infinite love of God. If you don't want infinite love, you've come to the wrong place. You should go away. This is what we're about here, is love. So to receive baptism in the Holy Spirit is to receive everything. It's everything our hearts have always longed for and way more. So that's the good news of the gospel. Jesus died for your sins. He's raised in glory. He is Lord of heaven and earth. And now you're invited in to unite yourself to him in baptism and to live a life in union with him. There's different ways we can think about what life in union with Jesus Christ is like. There's a lot of different ways he talks about it because it's so beautiful and complex that there's no one image that encapsulates all of it. The image that we dwell with this week is Jesus as our shepherd. And so who is our shepherd? It's not just Jesus living his life in 30 years leading up to his public ministry. It's not Jesus in this three years of public ministry. No, who is our shepherd? Our shepherd is Jesus Christ risen from the dead who has passed through death and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. It's like he's been everywhere. He's been to death. He's been from heaven and back to heaven. He knows everything. And now his role towards you is to lead you home, is to guide you. Jesus is, um, in, in a way that does sound almost cryptic, uh, is, is describing and getting to this identity of his as, as the good shepherd, the one who knows his sheep, the one who wants to give them greater life. A couple ideas that are really important for me. Number one <clears throat> is that when we really hear God's voice, we recognize him. We feel known. Because he says the stranger, they're, they're not going to follow him because they don't recognize his voice. But, the, but they follow the voice of the shepherd because they are his own and they recognize themselves as his own. When the voice of God speaks to you, when the Spirit of God is speaking, when, when truth is coming from God, you feel known, you feel understood. Sometimes we think that any, any idea that says, like, I should be holier or I'm not good enough, that, that must be from God because that's what God sounds like. No. No, if you don't feel understood, and not just understood, but almost claimed, like, hey, you're mine and I love you, then it's not the voice of God. I mean, there's a way in which the voice of God can convict us, like, yeah, I've done something wrong. But true repentance sounds like what the first reading sounded like. Like, oh, what, what are we to do, my brothers? It's like, well, you repent and, and, and be baptized. Like, come on in. Like, we, there's something here for you. You don't have to go away. You don't have to reject yourself. So again, the voice of God, the Spirit of God makes us feel known. He knows you and understands you. Like down to the deepest core of your heart, he knows everything about you. Also, what does the shepherd want for you? This last line is a great line. This is John 10.10, 10, easy to remember. John 10.10. 10. He says, A thief comes only to steal and slaughter and destroy. I came so that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus draws near to you that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus doesn't want to constrain you. He doesn't want to hold you down. He doesn't want to burden you. He doesn't want to make your life more complicated. No, he wants to set you free. Any other image of Jesus that we have that doesn't line up with that is a false image. It's not true. Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That word abundant is a good word, abundantly. So Jesus' shepherding is a shepherding of somebody who understands you deeply and cares about you deeply and wants to give you tremendous life. 
We don't have a lot of shepherds in the room. I know we got some ranchers out here. And, uh, yeah, some of you have real hearts, like, for your, you don't call it a flock, herd. Yeah, for your herd, like, you want what's best for them. Like, I've heard some of you talk, you're like, gosh, I just love cows, <laughs> you know? And you're, there's this, like, this care. Um, yeah, like, you really want what's best for them. And you know other ranchers that are kind of hirelings, yeah? Like, it's about money, and they don't, you know, they don't care as much. And, and that's a sad thing. No, but you have a heart that's like, no, I want, I want what's good. I, I want what's best. I want, like, a beautiful, happy, healthy-looking herd. Right? That's a, little, that's a little icon of what Jesus' heart is like towards you. Like, yeah, he wants you to thrive. And the good news is he's not going to slaughter you at the end of this. <laughs> it's like, wow. <laughs> that's nice, right? Yeah, so he's really good. All right, it feels like we're almost done. We're not. Uh, I want you to grab out your hymnals if you got them there. We're just going to walk through Psalm 23. It's the best, okay? It's not actually, I don't know if it's, which is the best, but it's just really beautiful. I don't remember what page you were on. Maybe something up here, I don't know. Um, psalm 23. One important thing to know about the psalm as we get into it. Where, where do you normally hear this psalm, if you've heard it a bunch? At what occasion do you normally hear it? The funerals, right? It's a funeral psalm a lot of times, which makes it seem like it's a psalm about heaven. It's not a psalm about heaven. It's a psalm about now. That's really important. The psalmists, when they wrote it, they weren't thinking about an afterlife or something like that. No, they were talking about right here and right now. So right, what we're reading through, this is your reality here and now if you want to let it, let it like actually be true in your life. You don't have to let him be your shepherd. You can be your own shepherd. But then kind of everything described here is going to be the opposite. It's, there's not going to be enough you're going to be lonely. You're going to be insecure. You're going to be alone. You're going to be afraid. You could just, you could read the whole thing in reverse and just switch everything good to bad. That's what it's like when, when, when Father Scott is Father Scott's shepherd. Yeah, I want everything. I can't get enough. And I dwell in desert lands and there's no rest. And there's just nasty water, right? And it doesn't refresh my soul. It makes me even thirstier. It's like salt water. And I go down all the wrong paths. And I walk in the dark valley, and I'm terrified of evil because nobody's with me, and I have no cur- We could keep going. Anyway, so let's go the positive way. What is it like when you actually let God be your shepherd? Even just hear the tone of these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That means you're not going to lack anything you need. When we feel like we're our own shepherds, we're insecure. We feel like we need more all the time. But when we truly let God lead and we trust that he's the shepherd, there, there'll never be anything more you need. You'll always have what you need. He'll be sure to provide for you. In verdant pastures, he will give you repose. A couple words we don't use a lot. What does verdant mean? It means green, but not just green. It means full and lush. Some of you have been driving around this spring and some of these pastures don't look too verdant. Amen? They look a little grubbed down. Yeah, we're not talking nothing like that. It's like lush deep, verdant pastures. And what does he want to give you there? He wants to give you rest. It's a beautiful idea. A shepherd who, when he looks at his sheep, he says, gosh, he's tired, or she's tired. I want to give her rest, to give her repose. It says he leads you by waters. Just to be, to be led by waters is relieving and refreshing. If you ever just spend time by water, like it does something to your heart. It's good for your heart. And not just any waters, but, but 
but restful waters. And near those restful waters, he refreshes your soul. Who feels like their soul needs some refreshing? Doesn't that sound nice? Ugh, yeah, I need, I need a refreshed soul. This is what Jesus does. Folks, again, this is real. He's here. He's with you all the time. This is what he wants for you. This is his plan. He guides you in right paths for his name's sake. There's like a pride and joy that he takes in you. And he's a good shepherd. Like when, you, when somebody sees your herd, you want them to be like, wow, that, that guy's a good rancher. Like he's doing all right. Yeah, Jesus wants you to thrive and flourish for his own glory. And that's not selfish of him. It's, it's all because of love. Guess she just loves you. So he wants to guide you in the right path. Even if you walk in the dark valley, so it, you're, there's going to be dark valleys. Some of you are in a dark valley right now, yeah? But you don't have to be afraid. Because why? Not because you're big and strong. Not because you have it all figured out. Not because you're capable and talented. No, no, no. No, you don't have to fear any evil because he's by your side. He's got a rod and a staff. Those are tools of protection. Sometimes you see drawings of Jesus the Good Shepherd, and let's be frank, he looks like a sissy. Amen? It's like pastel. It's really pastel. His hair's really combed, like a little too long, right? It's just kind of, it's just like, it's just, that's not a tough dude. Shepherds at the time were tough dudes. They had rods and staff because they had to hit things with them, like animals that were coming to eat the sheep. David the king was a shepherd boy, and he talks about like having to literally fight off lions and bears, like he protected the flock. So the good shepherd is not just like a very polite, dainty man that's just like petting everything. No, he's tough. He's going to protect you, give you courage because of his strength, his rod and his staff. It continues on. And it's kind of drifting from the, the sheep image to just like a, this beautiful image of what God is like towards us as sons and daughters. It says, you spread the table before me in sight of my foes. Like even surrounded by enemies, God provides this place of, of nourishment and support. And on two of my favorite lines, you anoint my head with oil. To let somebody touch your head and to anoint you with oil, there's something very tender about that. So Jesus and the Father, because Jesus is always showing us the Father, wants to anoint you with oil for the mission that you're being sent on as a priest, a prophet, and a king. Also, anointing is done for the sake of healing. Like he wants to touch you and to bless you, to heal you, uh, to show you that you're really good. You anoint my head with oil and my cup, what? Overflows. I'm going to share a strange thing with you. This might not be edifying for you. <laughs> It might just sound weird. I may have told you this once before. I was praying with this once, just imagining God the Father taking care of me. Imagine him spreading a table, like setting the, setting a table for a meal. And then he set down a, a tumbler, you know, which you pour certain things into. And uh, I have a special, uh, my favorite certain thing is called scotch. And uh, I just imagine him setting down a tumbler in front of me and then pouring it. And then he just kept pouring it until it, like, overflowed. <laughs> And I remember feeling like, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't drink all that, I'll get drunk, you know? And I, I, I'm not advocating anything here, please just recognize that, but I just sensed him being like, that's okay, like, I'll take care of you. 
and again, again, I'm not trying to say like if we trust God, then we'll be drunk all the time and blah blah. But there was something really beautiful about this this sense of like this abundance of this joyful thing. And he's like, hey, I'll take care of you. You can have as much as you want. Like, yeah, I'll just be here. I'll take care of you. If that's helpful, great. If not, forget about it. If you want to call the bishop, go ahead. Whatever. <laughs> um, but there is a providence and, a, and a, an abundance in God. And he's like taking care of things. Okay, the last line's here. Only goodness and kindness follow me all the days of my life. When he's the shepherd... You don't have to be afraid of what's behind you because when you turn around and look behind, what's there? Goodness and kindness. And again, what's the goal of all this shepherding? Where are you going? You're going home. Jesus only wants to lead you home to, to the Father's embrace, to his love, to a place where you feel really safe and secure and known. It says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for years to come. So Jesus is a good shepherd. And there is a call during this time of Easter to surrender to him, to be like, okay, yeah, I don't want to be in charge anymore. You who are Lord and God, I want you to be Lord and God of my life, to be my shepherd. Uh, I want life. I want more life. I want to have it more abundantly. So if you're okay with it, I'd like you just to imagine Jesus with you as your shepherd. And if you can, to, like, to really give him permission Jesus, please lead me. Please shepherd me. Provide for me. Protect me. All, all of it. Like, I want rest. I need refreshment. I'm afraid. Like, Jesus, I want you to be my shepherd.